Good morning. Good morning, church. I'm excited to share God's word with you today. We are going to be in John chapter 11, so it should be in the video notes or you can pull it up in front of you, John chapter 11. We're going to cover a large chunk of that. Um, So a question that I think you may have, whether you voice it or not, maybe it's uh, an underlying question underneath some of the thoughts you have, is when, when we look at the world, particularly right now, we see a lot of suffering and we see a lot of death. That just is the reality, right? Now, some of us see that suffering primarily uh, via the news or the social me- media, but some of, for some of us, that suffering and even that death has hit very close to home. And so the question that I believe many are asking, and even if you're not asking, it's in the back of your head, is this. Does God care about suffering and death? Does God care about suffering and death? Matter of fact, it's one of the most common questions that you will have as you try to talk about God and his goodness to others. Either they'll say it or they'll think it. If God is so good, then why is life so hard? Now, when we're talking about God, when we're trying to figure out what he is like, what he feels about things, or what he would say in various situations, the, the, what we have to do is look to Jesus. Because in Jesus is the fullest expression. The, the, the Bible says that, that the fullness of the Godhead, the fullness of God dwells in the body of Jesus. And so when we read about Jesus, that question, how does God feel about X, Y, and Z, it gets answered. And we'll find in this passage Jesus' attitude towards suffering and towards death. So we're going to read John 11, verses 25 through 27. It reads, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask that you would answer our deepest needs from the scriptures. Lord, we we honor you and we lift up the scriptures because through them we have an accurate and true knowledge of who you are and how you feel about our world. So Lord, would you lift up our eyes to you and speak to us through the scriptures. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so to to understand for context, again, we need to understand that context is important. So when you read a verse or a couple of verses and you really want to understand, it's important to back up and say, well, what came before and what came after? So we need to understand that Jesus said these words. He said the words, I'm the resurrection and the life. He said this in the midst of both suffering and death, indicating that he does not like death and that he will defeat it. So if we go to verse 1, we need to understand the situation. Verse 1 in John 11, it says, Now a man was sick, Lazarus, from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. 
So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now, there's a couple of things that we need to point out. First is this, is that the people who were in trouble, Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary, they were people who were devoted to Jesus. It was obvious to anybody watching that they both loved Jesus and they knew him well. Mary was the one who, who anointed the Lord's feet with perfume and washed his feet with her. I don't, I don't know if there is a, a better picture of unashamed, costly worship. This is an example to us. It, it, it had to be an unashamed thing to do. How, how often do we look at what others will think of us before we decide what we're going to do in obedience to the Lord? But in the middle of it all, she not only worshiped Jesus, she would clean, she would wipe Jesus' feet with her own hair. What were the others thinking when she did this? Not only that, her worship was costly. This, this perfume that she would pour on the Lord's feet, it was expensive. It wasn't something you get at the dollar store. It's some, something that people would have to save up for a long time to get. And in her devotion, we see that she was both unashamed and she, the, the, her worship of Jesus cost her something. So, so we can see that this family... They were not uh, uh, just pretending to love Jesus or loving Jesus because it was convenient. They would worship him with everything they had. Not only did they love Jesus, but Jesus loved them. Right? It says it. It clearly says that, that Jesus loved this family. Jesus had a practice of staying at their home and eating with them. They were more than just associates. So if they love Jesus and Jesus loved them, why in the world did he not come immediately to help? Notice it says in verse 6, when he heard this, he stayed two more days in a place he was in. Maybe you feel like Jesus is delaying to help you sometimes. Maybe you feel like, well, Jesus, I know you love me and I think you know that I love you. So then why aren't you helping me? Right? I'm sure they had this question. But Jesus' actions should be interpreted in the context of his love for them and the, that he wanted to reveal the glory of God to them. His delay is not because of a lack of care. It's not a fake love. He said his delay will be a revelation of his glory. Now, his glory is what would make us the most happy. When you see something wonderful that you have trouble describing with words because it's so good, that is what God's glory is like. So he wanted them to know that he loved them, and he wanted them to see his glory, which was the most beautiful thing they could see. So whatever he's doing, it's not because he doesn't love them. And so the, the question then we have to ask is, okay, what happened? Well, 
while Jesus delayed in going to see Lazarus, Lazarus died. So, so from the first part of the story, it would seem that Jesus is unaffected by suffering and death, right? He says, oh, I love them, they love me, but I'm away here, and while I'm waiting, uh, Lazarus is going to die. So we need to continue through the story to see how he really feels about these things. So he waited, and there are a variety of responses to him waiting. And I'm sure you would go, why in the world did you wait and let him die? Jesus, why would you wait? Let's look at verse 14. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He said, so Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. So we know that Jesus knows everything. He's omniscient. He knows what would, what would happen. Why would he wait? Jesus explains that he will use this tragedy to display his power and to build faith. Jesus knows how to turn a tragedy into more joy and awe than we would have experienced if the tragedy had not happened. That's crazy. He, he can use a tragedy to strengthen our faith and resolve and to bring us more joy. That sounds crazy to hear, and some of us might doubt it. But I, I promise you this. If you have met the most mature and joyful followers of Jesus, they have scars. They have been through some stuff. But they have also seen that as they have gone through hard, complex, and frustrating things, that Jesus' love, his deliverance, his sufficiency has been revealed to them. So the disciples' response was pretty confused. Why don't you go? I guess we'll go now. It seems too late. So let's look at Mary, Martha and Mary's responses. This, these are the sisters of, of Lazarus, the man who is now dead. In verse 20, it says, as soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been there, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So we can see in verse 20 that Martha hears Jesus is coming and runs out to meet her. But Mary's like, I ain't even going to go see him right now. I'm sitting in my house. I, don't, I can't even look at him right now. I'm very frustrated because I know he could have helped my brother, but he didn't. So I don't even want to see him. She's mad because she's assuming that Jesus does not care. We often avoid God when we are angry. We will avoid coming to church. We'll avoid opening the word. We'll avoid saying prayers. Anything that would remind us of God, we would avoid because we would think, you weren't there for me when I needed you. Now, Martha's response is a little more nuanced. She expresses both a frustration and a faith, right? I think she's just kind of confused about what Jesus did. Like At first, she's like, well, if you had been here, this wouldn't happen. You, I know you could have stopped it. Yet, I also know that whatever you ask from God, you can, he'll do it. And so she's like really conflicted 
And I feel, I feel that sometimes, right? I know you're good, but this doesn't seem like it's good. What the world? But here's what I want you to know is that in Martha's theology, her right understanding about God helps her to cope well. So in the middle, middle of suffering, Martha had hope. Remember, Jesus said to her, listen, he's, he's going to rise from the dead. And Martha's like, well, I know. I know that when all said and done, you're going you're to uh, raise those who follow you from the dead. See, Martha's understanding of hope and truth, it, it helped help her uh, find stability even in the middle of the trials. Listen, beloved, we need to stay grounded in the truth about God from his word so that when the winds and the waves of this world come crashing down on us, that we would have something solid to stand on. And that is why we are constantly encouraging scripture reading. Man, there's going to be stuff in this life that you're going to be like, what? 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 Why did this happen? And sometimes the only thing that will keep you standing is the truth of God's word. God's truth can stabilize you in the middle of hardships. There are times when I don't feel like I'm going to have what I need. There are times in the past where I felt like I wouldn't have what I need materially. Am I going to have enough money to do this or that? And then I remember it says in Philippians 4, it says, my God will supply all your needs. And so in the middle of question marks, I have some sort of stability. Like, well, he said that he would supply what I need. God's word helps you stabilize, helps you stay standing and sane when other things would cause you to fall. Now, let's continue. In verse 28. Having said this, she went back and called her sister, Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her, Mary, in the house consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Again, Mary is angry. She sees the circumstances and she knows exactly whom to blame. She blames Jesus. Jesus, if you would have just done what you do, if you would have done what was in your power to do, I would not be in this predicament. I wouldn't be sad. My brother would still be here. What in the world are you doing? But, beloved, I want you to see this. She takes her anger to the Lord. Listen, Jesus wants all of your emotions, not just the happy ones. The Psalms are a testament to this. If you are frustrated, confused, angry, tired, sad, whatever it is, we need to take all of that to the Lord. Even in our declarations of our frustrations, of our situations, it is demonstrating that we know where we can find hope. Even when it's doubtful. I don't understand what's going on. God, God what are you doing? I just, this doesn't make sense. I'm frustrated at the way things are going right now. And what are you doing? Jesus is big enough to not only take that, he wants those 
emotions. He wants those those words that describe how we actually feel. Look, I'm so I'm tired of a faith that doesn't feel like it can handle frustrations, confusion, and anger. If our faith cannot handle that, it cannot handle the human condition. But Jesus, he has experienced every single emotion that we have. Has he been frustrated? Yes. Has he been sad? Yes. Has he been angry? Yes. Has he been somewhat perplexed? Remember, before he was crucified, he said to God, listen, if there's any other way to to accomplish this, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, he understands, y'all. He understands. And so finally, we saw the disciples' response. They were confused. Martha's response is like, I'm confused, but I'm kind of hoping. Mary's just angry. We can finally see what Jesus' response is in verse 33. It says, when Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him? He asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. We need to understand that Jesus is moved by our suffering and grief. Jesus weeps with those who weeps, not as an actor, but as one who actually feels what they feel. You need to know this. You need to understand this, that when you are going through trials and suffering, Jesus is not standing back just looking at you going, I wonder why you feel like that. No, Jesus shares in your feelings that when you would weep, so would he. Not because he's pretending, but because he actually understands exactly how you feel. Here's one thing I want you to understand is Jesus is weeping and grieving with those who do not even have an understanding of faith. These Jews that are crying, these are the Jews who did not believe in him, but he saw them weeping and sad. And even those who would be against him, he'd say, "Ah, I still feel, I still feel what you're feeling. Listen, someone's grief is something that should produce compassion in us even if we do not fully understand or agree with their grief. Listen, when someone is coming to you grieving and you are confused as to why they are grieving or you don't really think that it's worth them grieving, the proper move isn't, well, suck it up. That is not what Jesus does. When someone is grieving, Jesus sits down and grieves with them. Now, this, this word, this, 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 this combination of word deeply moved, it has a lot of nuance. So we, we see that he's sad, but I want you to understand there's another emotion at work here. Jesus is not only sad, but he is angry. Jesus is angry. And he's not angry at the people. He is angry at death. Listen, Jesus hates death. This indignation, this frustration, this anger, when he saw death, Jesus was angry. Listen, God does not rejoice in the consequences of sinning. Listen, the fact that death reigns, in a sense, because everybody has to go through it, that is a consequence of our collective sin. 
even though that's a consequence of our sin, Jesus just doesn't go, well, I got, you got what you deserve. No, no, no. He hates death. He hates the consequences of our sin. Now, if you're familiar with the story, you need to understand that Lazarus did not stay dead. Look at verse 41. It says, so they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face wrapped in a cloth. Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. Listen, Jesus demonstrates his power to this crowd. I want you to notice the prayer. He prays and he says, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know you always hear me, but I'm saying this out loud so that they would know you would hear me. There's two things going on here. If you pay real close attention, we understand that Jesus is sad about suffering and that he's angry at death and suffering. So his compassion moves him to perform this miracle. And at the same time, this miracle is a signal or a sign that those who are around him should listen to what he said. And God confirms that they should listen to what he says because when Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, this dead man who had been dead for days gets up and comes out of his grave. Man, we should rejoice when God shows up in miraculous ways. If you have been following him for any amount of time, you will see there are times when God shows up and you, there are situations where you're like, ah, this looks like death, it looks like suffering, I don't know. And there have been times when he showed up and he shows you his grace. But I want you to understand that the reason he did that is twofold. He did it because he loves you and he showed up because he wants you to listen to him. This is how I know this. A hundred years later, from this passage. Everybody died. Everybody is dead. The disciples, Martha, Mary, all of them are dead in a hundred years. So he didn't perform the miracle simply, simply or only to show his power and grace, but he did it to prove that, that they should listen to him because miracles in a real sense are temporary, right? Because everybody is going to die. The ultimate benefit to those who saw the miracles is not that they escape temporal suffering, but it was so that they would have eternal life. Let's go to the, the, the main point of the text. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. So listen, we need to understand this. Jesus performed this sign to point to something even greater. He defeated death in a temporary sense in this miracle to show us that he has the power to defeat death in an ultimate sense. Look, look, look. He says, she says, I believe you're the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the Messiah, this, this idea of the Messiah, the Son of God, it was the one who would come and defeat the people of God's enemies. Jesus shows us who the ultimate enemy is. 
and that is death. Jesus comes to defeat that which would try to take us all out. Listen, the way that he defeated death was by dying in our place. Jesus is our resurrection because he took our death and he defeated death through the resurrection. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That means that when you work for something, you get paid what is appropriate to what you did, right? You worked, you earned a paycheck. Jesus is saying the collective sin and the individual sin of humanity, that work that is put in towards sin, what is due, what is the paycheck, is death. But listen, he says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus paid what we owed for our sin on the cross. Because we have accumulated sins that lead to death, both individually and together corporately, Jesus said, I see their problem. I am going to do something about it. And beloved, Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead, defeating death. It is clear that death has no claim on him because he rose from the dead. And in the same way, because we trust in him, death does not have ultimate final claim on us. So the point of it all is that Jesus defeats death and gives eternal life and resurrection to those who would put trust in him. And so what does this look like to live this out, this truth out? How should we live? There's a couple of thoughts I want to present to you. One is that we have to monitor. We need to monitor how we feel about Jesus's intentions in the middle of hardship, right? Things are going down that are frustrating. What's going on in your heart? You mad at Jesus? You angry? You confused? Pay attention and then take those particular feelings to Jesus. And as you take those feelings to Jesus, you have to make sure that your heart is grounded in the truths of Scripture. We need to see the signs, the miracles, the deliverances, the times where God showed up in our own life. We need to see those signs as tools to help me listen and obey Jesus. Beloved, we need to see death as what it is. It is an enemy. So that when we see death, when death is, is happening around us, we don't need, it would be weird to be happy about that. We need to see there's an enemy. Jesus himself is sad about death and angry about death. We should grieve death appropriately. Yet at the same time, we should hope for the resurrection. If I am in Jesus, when death calls my name, it does not have the last word. Death calls me as a bill collector, and Jesus picks up the phone, and he says, I will pay what he owes. Or better yet, I have paid what he owes. 
And so my, my encouragement to you today is to look towards eternity, that no matter the suffering and the trials and the frustrations and the ultimate trial, which is death, which is coming, no matter what happens, that we have a hope that transcends, that is above death, and that we will put our trust in Jesus, the one who died, so that death does not have the final say in our lives. That is our hope, church. It transcends 2020. Even though this year has been weird, we have a hope that lasts into eternity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to see what you have done in the scriptures and what you have done for us personally as motivations to put our hope and our trust in you and to listen to you. Lord, would you encourage those who are suffering, encourage those who are weak. Lord, you have compassion on those who are grieving. So give us grace to have compassion and to grieve with those who are grieving. But let us be grounded deep down with the hope that suffering and death does not have the final word because you have risen from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen.